I can have contempt toward God, I should take God into account. I should regard him with respect. I should regard other people with respect. So respect is the opposite of contempt. Respect is taking, I take you into account. I give you the space that, that um, you need <clears throat> and that you, God has created you to have. Why do I take God into account? God is, I, I was listening through a book this week, and one of the statements in there caught my attention. It said, if I believe that God is in control of my career, then there's, why is there a place for fear in my life? Why is there any place for fear in my life? If I believe that God is in control. So why do I need to give any regard to God? I believe that God is in control of all things. He is the king, the master of the universe. So contempt is living in disregard for God. It's living in disregard to authority. It's living in disregard to one another. And so here we have a man who... Jesus is saying, this man did not regard the publican as a person of value, a person to be respected, because he worked for that government that's oppressing us. And nobody, no righteous person should work for that government. And so that was one of his reasons. The publicans were known to be extortioners. They would use their position to get more money then they were required. So they would collect the taxes, give it to the government, they would collect a little bit more to live on. And so they, they had a money flow that they could take advantage of. And so that's why people hated the publicans. They felt like they were unjust. They were taking more than their fair share and taking advantage of the people. And so we can do that too. We can say, I have all the reasons in the world to not trust that person. I have all the reasons in the world to view them with contempt and to not respect them. <clears throat> I think this man here, this Pharisee, he, can, he had all the reasons to convince himself that I do not need to respect this man. And we do that too. It's very easy to go to the place. We can list all the reasons that we should not respect our president right now. Lots of things that we don't agree with. We can find all kinds of reasons why not to respect our parents. There's plenty of things. Our parents aren't perfect. We can find many reasons not to respect our boss at work. And so we build up these cases in our minds against people. And as I... Over the last while, it's, it's been a few months ago that I realized, you know what? I do this. I'm this person. I am looking on others as I am not esteeming others as better than myself. So if I do not esteem you better than myself, then I am not looking on you with respect, but with contempt. <clears throat> and so this, I was, um, 
we were talking about it, and I was asking Charlou some questions, and it was a number of months ago, and nothing really came of it. And I came, I kept praying, and I want to look at the life of Jacob wrestling, where he wrestled with God. And he asked God, what is your name? He asked an angel that he was wrestling with. But there was no answer back. And why is that? And we'll look at that. But I felt like I was in a situation where I was wrestling with God, and there was no answer. There was no answer back. And why is that? Until later. And so this, this word... Um, it was kind of tumbling around in my mind, and I was pondering it. And then probably just, I don't know, a month ago or something, I asked Charlotte, I said, in, during a time of prayer, I said, what do you feel is, what do you sense from the Lord is a word for me? And contempt was the word that came up. And it was like, it just hit me. It's like, wow, that's what God's been saying to me, too. And <clears throat> I believe that this, um, leads to all kinds of difficulties in relationship. If we are not willing to we need to be willing to go to God and say, God, how do you view me? And then to agree with God. And we'll look at some verses. But that's the question. Am I agreeing with God in what he is saying to me? Or am I coming up with all the reasons that I can come up with to say, no, that's not true. And I will go my own way. Jacob, after he left that encounter that wrestling with God, he had a decision to make. Am I going to submit to God or am I not? We are not given answers. God does not give us truth so that we can be in control. God gives us truth so that we can walk in freedom. And the, the problem that we face is when we are given truth, that we say, okay, now I got it. I know where I can go with this and I'm in control again. Jacob was a man who had lived his life in control. He connived. His name meant supplanter. I'm going to take my older brother and set him aside. <clears throat> and so we want to get power with God so that we can do the same thing. We can control our life. We can bring healing where we want it. We can control other people. And that's not why God speaks to us. God gives us of himself so that we can walk in freedom and in life with him. <clears throat> As I was looking at this, I said, you know what? I desire to show respect and not contempt. I desire relationship and to bring down walls that I have helped to build. I desire to see hurts healed. So if I desire these things, I can pray for them, right? I can 
God is in control. I desire to stand beside one another and not in opposition to each other. The opposition is Satan. It's not any person. I desire to walk by God's spirit, trusting him to accomplish what I cannot. He is mighty. He created the worlds with spoken word. He healed people with a word and with a touch. I was just amazed. You know, we look around, and there's healing that needs to happen. How did Jesus heal people? There wasn't these difficult, special knowledge things that had to go on. He healed with a touch, this one touch. He healed with his word. And he honored faith. We'll look at a verse there, too, that Steve was sharing about that. Um, I may think the need is any number of things, but what we need is his touch, his word, and then life comes. I desire God's touch. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Jacob wanted to know God's name so he could have protection against Esau the next day. God wouldn't tell him his name. Jacob was touched by the angel and made weaker in the face of the biggest, most dangerous struggle of his life. So we go to God and we wrestle with God and we're stubborn about it. We want to stay in control. And then God makes us weaker in the face of our biggest struggle yet in life. What is brokenness? It is knowing that I need God. Brokenness is like the publican saying, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He is the man who is an example for us today, not the Pharisee. We don't want to follow him. But you know, Satan uses these things and the slime to attach to us. And it's difficult to get rid of. But in Jesus' name, we can tell it to be gone. And if we don't have any other words to say in the midst of the struggle, we can say, like this publican, oh, God, have mercy. God, have mercy. God, have mercy. If that's the only words that you can get out, that's enough. God, have mercy. And when God reveals something to us, I will respect it. I will regard it. It is truth. And I will agree with it. There's a couple places in scripture where we are told to have contempt. And you think of what, what are we to have contempt for? And the words in scripture. (laughs) We are to have contempt. We are to disdain the shame of the cross. Have contempt for it. We're not even to regard the shame of the cross. It says nothing uh, for following Christ. So we're told to have contempt for that. We're to have contempt for the struggles that we have now in respect for the glory that is to be revealed. So those are two things that we have contempt for. 
Jacob was given a new name that night as he wrestled with God. He went from supplanter to God prevails. Israel means God prevails. Is my name contempt? What does my name mean? David. You know what David means? It means beloved. What is your new name? God has a new name as we wrestle through with God. <clears throat> but we struggle with that. Jacob struggled. He did not want to... Um, I don't know what all his struggle was that night. But he was coming up against his brother who was stronger than him and Jacob had treated him wrongly. And his brother was coming with 400 warriors. His brother could wipe him off the map. He was coming up against something greater than him. And as we struggle with God, it's when we come up against something that we can't control anymore. Jacob had been able to control his life, and now he couldn't anymore. He knew that the next day he was at his brother's mercy. And I believe that, I believe he is pretty stubborn, probably just like most of us are. We're going to make this thing work. We're going to press through. We're going to fix it. Um, <clears throat> and, we, and we run away from God, from the man, the person, the king, who can really do something about it. The <clears throat> and shepherds know this in the mountains, shepherds who watch sheep. The story is told of in Scotland, the sheep will jump down off a dangerous ridge to get some grass that they see down there, but then they can't get back up. And kind of a picture of what we do. We go running after things, and then we're stuck. And then the shepherd goes to try to help them, and they'll jump off. They'll jump away from the shepherd because they don't want to be taken back. This was, this was a good ledge. I want to stay here. And so the shepherd knows that about the sheep, and so he leaves them there until they have no strength. So they're hungry, they're starving, they have no strength. And then he'll reach down there and grab them because they can't jump away from them anymore. And <clears throat> we are like those sheep. We are so foolish um, that we are not willing to let the shepherd come right away. We have to wait till we're at the end. And the shepherd waits and he watches and he's waiting. Is he waiting for me right now till I get to the end of myself? Is he waiting because he knows I'm going to jump to my death just to get away from him? <clears throat> Am I broken yet? Am I clinging to my own goodness? Or am I clinging to the Lord? What am I hanging on to that's keeping me from trusting God? <clears throat> you 
Genesis chapter 32 is the story of Jacob wrestling with God. Genesis 32, verse 22. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent them over that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go. For the day breaketh, and he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and and hath prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed there, and he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over, Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the sinew that shrank. <clears throat> Did God need to know what Jacob's name was? You know, God doesn't ask questions to gain information. He already knew Jacob. God asks us questions because he wants to see if we agree with him. Am I going to agree with God, what God has already said? God couldn't bless Jacob until Jacob confessed his character. Jacob was saying, yep, it's me. Here's the supplanter, and I am Jacob. God can't bless us until we confess who we are. If I keep pressing on in my own way, and in all my listings of why all the goodness that I am, whatever we list there, then God can't bless us. God is looking for us to agree with him and to rest on him. None of us can run the distance that it takes. None of us can save ourselves, but we need God. God must break us of our self-dependence so that he can bless us as we cling to him in our brokenness. As we cling to him in our brokenness, God can bless us. What is brokenness? Brokenness is dying to self. It's dying to my agenda that Christ's agenda may be accomplished. It is submitting to God's leading. I heard a story out of Ukraine 
from um, my nephew that's there. Well, the Ukrainian pastor that they met, who I believe displayed both of these, dying to himself and submitting to God's leading. Um, But as the front line became closer and closer to them, I think they have one one child at home. But he and his wife and and his child, they brought it up as a family. Do we stay? Because there's so many people leaving. Or do we go? You know, are we going to be refugees and leave? Or are we going to stay? And so he said, you know what? Let's all pray about it and come back together and see what we're comfortable with doing. And each of the family members felt that they were that they were to stay. And he felt like God had told him that I'll bless you if you go and I'll bless you if you stay. But I will receive more glory if you stay. And so as a family they decided to stay. And this was a pastor that they took supplies into so that he could um, feed the people in that town. And he said when they got there, that town looked like a ghost town. Hardly anybody left um, living there. Most people had gone. Um, But there was people who couldn't leave. And as the bombing was happening and the fighting is going on, he said people started knocking on his door saying, we can't sleep at night because of the bombing and all the mortars that keep coming in. And they're fearful. And so he had Psalm 91 booklets. You know, that's the psalm um, of finding shelter in God. And he started handing everybody that came, he'd hand them a Psalm 91 booklet. And he'd pray with them. And... He said the people are coming back. Their church went from, uh, before the war, they had 40 people meeting together. And now there's 100 in this ghost town. But 100 people meeting together um, to worship together. And he said, you know what? All of us are sleeping through the night. God is giving a peace in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the war. God directs our path, and his leading has kept us safe. We have been led one way, and then a shell or missile comes where we would have been. He said, as we go out to deliver food and to help people, he said, we'll sense God saying, go the long way this time. (laughs) Go out around, and then we find out that a building blew up over there. He said, God is leading us. God's keeping us safe. And so brokenness is submitting to God's leading. Am I listening to God's spirit? And am I willing to die? They're, they're family. They're willing to die. They're willing to stay there. You know, none of us knows what we'll face in life. But as I read this story... It hit me that our faithfulness is so that others will be blessed, so that God will receive glory. And we see both those things happening here. At some point, 
as we stay faithful. The enemy wants to take us under so that we aren't there for God's glory. But as we stay faithful to God, there's, a, there's often something right around the corner that we don't see, that the enemy sees, and he knows how these things work. He probably doesn't, he doesn't see it either. Only God knows the future. But he knows how God works. And God knows he has a plan for us, and right around the corner he needs us in a certain spot. And if we give up today, we're not going to be there when that time comes. So am I listening to God's spirit, and am I willing to die? You know, something in us, probably as men, thrills at the stories of conquest. You know, it's, I like to read of men who um, did great deeds for God in missions, or even just are really strong and can wrestle and conquer the next guy. You know, we, we get excited about stories of strength. And I was listening, a book I'm listening to right now, they told the story, and I don't know all the, all the actors in this story, but um, King Arthur's knights, knights of the round table, one of them was Lancelot. And in this story, it mentions Mark, too. And I don't know who Mark is. Maybe some of you have read that story. But Lancelot was, ended up coming from nothing. He was, I think his mother had died. And he was raised by someone else and then brought to, the, to be a knight. And he rose up through the ranks and was the, 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 the best knight. You know, he was the strongest guy and the best fighter. And so he was jousting with this Mark, you know, just in practice. And... In four moves, he had Mark's sword. And Mark was like, how did you do that? You know, how? I want to learn how to do what you just did. And Lancelot was, oh, you can learn. And, um, well, tell me how. And he said, well, when you start a fight, you're watching for weakness. What's your opponent's weakness? So he said, I just watched for what your weakness was. And he said, then the second thing, he said, in any fight, in any battle, there comes a moment <clears throat> when you will win or lose, and you have to wait for that moment if you want to win. If you miss that moment, you're going to lose. And so he said, you know that that moment's coming. And so you watch for weakness, and you watch for your moment, and then when that moment comes, you have to be willing to die. And what I hear him saying in that is in that moment, you have to be willing to put everything in. Everything's on the line. And then you, then you win. <clears throat> Robert shared something like that last night um, at the couple's night. Um, that if you're in a knife fight, if one guy's in the fight, kind of doesn't want to get cut, he's protecting himself, and the other guy's willing to get cut, who's going to win? It's the guy that's willing to get cut. If, like Lancelot said, if I don't care whether I live or die, I'm all in. And that's how we have to be in the kingdom of God. Now, if I'm holding back and saying, well, God, I'm going to keep this and this because there's nothing wrong with it, 
and I kind of like it, and it's not safe. I might die if I go do that. I might die right now. There's many places and many ways that we could die. We could die driving on the streets of Cheyenne. But we tend to look at, you know, if I go to Haiti right now, it's getting worse again. I could die in Haiti. But brokenness is being submitted to God's leading, dying to self. I need to be willing to die. Brokenness is clinging to God. I think we see Christ in the garden, a broken and suffering Savior, despairing in the garden and crushed on the cross clinging to his father. Brokenness brings release and a deep sense of joy. That doesn't come any other way. The seed has to be broken and split open so that new life can come. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Brokenness is agreeing with God and not fighting his assessment. That's in verses here on, um, in this thing of seeing myself rightly Let's turn to Luke 6 and verse 39. There's another example of, I believe, it doesn't use the word contempt, but we see it happening here. Luke 6, 39 to 42. And he spake a parable unto them, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceiveth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either thou canst, either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. There's a lot of um, a lot in Scripture about eyes and eyesight and seeing. But you know, do I have a beam? Or is it everybody else that has a beam? I just have a mote. God is offering that we can see clearly. And as I agree with him and come to him, I had to think, you know, we need a holy optometrist when we can't see. God is that optometrist. He can help us to see again. He can heal the eye. Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. <clears throat> Psalm 119, 18. Here's a prayer that we can pray. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Psalm 101.3, I will not set before mine eyes anything that is worthless 
I hate the work of those that fall away. It shall not cling to me. <clears throat> Mark 8, 25. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus is the one that heals our eyes, removes the beam, and we can see clearly. Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. My eyes can cause me to be thrown into hell. Is my eye evil or is my eye good? <clears throat> Second Kings six seventeen. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Again, a man prayed, Elisha, prayed to God, Lord, open his eyes. We can pray that prayer too. Open my eyes. Open his eyes. And he saw what God was doing. We need our eyes open to be able to see what God is doing. Ephesians 1, 16 to 21, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to that which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. So our hearts have eyes. We can see with our hearts. And we long to see a church, the body of Christ, that is thriving and growing. That's what he's talking about here, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. For thine is the power and the glory forever. Amen. The greatness of his power. <clears throat> we want to know that. We long for that. You know, we, can, we talk with each other and say, hey, I want to see this happening. I don't want to see walls between people, right? We all desire that. We want to see the walls come down. We want to see the church flourish. Um, Paul said, I don't cease, um, I, don't, I do not cease to give thanks, remembering you in your prayers that your eyes may be enlightened. Let's be praying for each other that the eyes of our heart will be brightened, that we can see these things happening. They are happening. God is moving. He is answering prayer. What is precious in God's sight? Talk about eyes. What is precious in God's sight? <clears throat> it is the hidden person of the heart. What is precious to God is our hearts and what's in them. It's not... We can look around us, and there's lots of things that we see that are precious to our eyes. What is precious in God's eyes? 1 Peter 3, 3 to 4. 
Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. That jumped out to me as I was looking at sight and eyes. That is precious to God. That is what's hidden in our hearts. So if contempt is hidden in my heart, God cares about that because he cares about what's in my heart because he knows that that will bring death. So what's in my heart? What are the things that I'm thinking about that I'm trying to cover up by putting on uh, the clothing or you know, whatever I do to the outside? Psalm 146.8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. <clears throat> what is our call to action? As you look back at Jacob, what was he doing in that wrestling with God? And he got a new name. What was he doing? He was alone with God, right? So take time alone with God. It is there that the Lord came to wrestle with Jacob. It won't be the same thing as it was for Jacob or for me, but he will show you. What is the thing that you will wrestle with? But you need to get alone with God, or else the wrestling is not going to happen, and then the new name is not going to come. So number one, take time with God. Number two, use your victories, which come from God's breaking you to teach and bless others. Your greatest problems can become your greatest victories. Hmm. I'd like to close by reading a story that a couple months ago um, grabbed me because, and I think it's because I, I connected with her way of writing it, um, I have said some things to God that would classify me as a Christian atheist. And that's the title of this, this, um, of this journal, this story, written by Jocelyn Larson. On my worst days, I'm a Christian atheist. The words rolled off my tongue hollowly as if they belonged to a script, as if there were someone else who was saying them. I wasn't sure if I even knew what they meant. I found myself clarifying whether more for her or for me, I wasn't sure. It's just easier and better to believe that Jesus doesn't exist than to believe that he would stand silent while I eke my way through this pain. My dear friend, whom I've mentored during her college years, just stared back at me. I'm just having a crisis of faith, I tried to put her at ease. The look on her face said plainly that hadn't worked. Don't ever say that again, she said simply. We both smiled uneasily. The girl she had known was such a Christian girl, such a sold-out missionary for God, such an inspiring Jesus follower to the women I mentored. But then the bottom had fallen out of my life. Actually, it was more, much worse than that. The bottom had fallen out of my life in a way that didn't look at all like the bottom falling out of a person's life. Major vocational change mingled with months of physical exhaustion, isolation, and loneliness were heaped atop a desperate struggle to find meaning again. I was left in a nauseatingly depressive cycle. 
I saw raw pity in the eyes of my husband, my sister, my friends. Pity and helplessness. I was a shell of the girl I had been. After fighting on my own for a while, I'd thrown myself at the mercy of God, but this time, even he wasn't there. Heaven itself was silent. My despairing, angry prayers echoed back into my ears deafeningly. My tears slunk to the floor, uncaught, unwiped. I sobbed mutely into my pillow. If no, no one, capital O, was listening, I didn't want to hear it either. Day after day, I nagged him about my elaborate Christian resume. How could you forget who I was, all that I've done for you? I used to have daily Bible times, study times. Now all I can stomach is the furious, melancholy psalms. I used to have it all put together. Now all I do is curse angrily over the tiniest things. I used to do so much good kingdom work, and now all I do is menial tasks. I used to be so balanced and healthy. Now I'm one millimeter away from certified insanity. I used to help so many other people. Now all my energy is self-focused just to get myself through the day. I was utterly broken, doubly broken, because of the shame and guilt and fear of being broken. Christians aren't supposed to be broken. They're supposed to be well and whole, godly servants of others, and well, happy in the joy of the Lord. It would be many months that turned into a few years before I could see glimmers again of light in the darkness that had become my life. When it came, it came slowly, gradually, like a sunrise. It first warmed my mind, my circumstances, my perceptions, then methodically plotted its way into the recesses of my very heart. I began to have better days. I heard myself saying, on my better days, all I know is that God is not who I thought he was. Eventually, the light returned fully. The depression was gone. But I was surprised to find that the brokenness remained steadfastly, beautifully, wholeheartedly, humbly. My wound had been healed, and I was still broken. In this new light, I could see that the brokenness was the healing. I used to think, that God was intently interested in my put-togetherness. It turns out that was the only thing with which he could do nothing. I used to bring him only all my figured-out things. It turns out what he wanted was for me to bring him everything. Most of all, my not-yet-figured-out things. I also discovered that it wasn't that I used to be all put-together, and then one day I lost it. It was that I had been intimately, holistically broken all along. I had known that I was broken, but only mechanistically and theologically. Spiritually, formatively, and repentantly, I had turned a blind eye. I had hidden it from myself. So when it forced itself to the surface, it was like lava from an invisible volcano, buried ocean leagues deep, exploding through, breaking upward, remaking itself into my life as a new reality. I was also surprised to find in my heart, alongside and intermingled with the brokenness, profound freedom and a brimming reservoir of gratefulness that I had never known. I was safe to confess my faults. I was at liberty not to take myself too seriously, and I could dive deeper in my relationships than I ever had. Accepting my brokenness turned myself and my sin into a glorious tiny trickle, and it turned his cross and his grace into the magnificent ocean in which I was now near drowning with grateful glee. Indeed, God was not who I thought he was. I thought he wanted inherent wholeness. Instead, under the administration of this King Jesus, to be broken, 
is to be whole. And to be whole is to be broken. <laughs>